Okay, is this on? Probably want a, bit, a little bit more. Okay. So uh, it's always a, a privilege uh, to be invited to something like this. I, I appreciate uh, you, you probably all know me, but I don't really know you. Um, but it's for me, it's always an honour and always very special to come to these sort of events. So thank you for inviting me. I really do appreciate it and stuff. And a big thank you to Prophetic Releases uh, that has made me as famous as I am, I think, um, because, of, um, because of that network. So thanks, Jeff. But the prophetic releases has, has been really important in, on many ways. There's a lot of people that I know that have been looking for a prophetic voice, and they've gone onto that Facebook page, and it's really helped them, really blessed them for what you guys are doing. So keep up the great work. It's, it's really needed. So I've been asked to share today a little bit about the way ahead, a prophetic message for, for the UK. There's a lot of things that I've said about the UK and, you know, things like, you know, uh, the collapse of the government, the economic collapse. I really do fervently believe those things are, are, are coming down the line. But, and some people say, how is it that we're going to have great revival and such terrible things happen at the same time? Well, the answer is simple. If, you, if you've done any history, uh, you will know that, for example, during the first Great Awakening, there was a stock market collapse. During the second Great Awakening, there was a stock market collapse. During the first wave, there was another collapse. During the second wave, there was another collapse. And what it did is it drove the church to pray. And then when the church started praying, then revival came. So sometimes it's good to have a little bit of shaking, amen? Uh, it's almost like we, it's, it's, it's something we don't want, but it's something that we need. Uh, and it's coming down the line. And so we need to be a people that are ready uh, prophetically and within ourselves to cope with what's coming and have a walk in a relationship with God that can sustain us through these times that, in which we're coming into. And so in 2018, um, God gave me this prophetic word. I was, I was all set to get up and give a nice cosy sermon as pastors do. And these words just dropped into my mind, which was many, many tekel passing. And I had a prophetic word, and it was basically that Theresa May would be stepped down, that uh, Brexit would take place, and various other things were going to happen. And then I found myself starting to prophesy about things that I had no understanding of what I was actually talking about. Um, and you might think that I'm like that all the time, but this was, <laughs> this was specifically something I'm like, what am I saying? And it was about a resurrection. God wanted a resurrection of monastic communities and prayer houses and stuff across this nation um, and to blend the ancient with the modern. And he was saying all these things. I'm, I do not understand what it is that I'm prophesying here. But generally, people who are prophets or people who are prophetic, sadly for some of us, you end up becoming the very word you prophesied in flesh. You know, Jesus is the word in flesh. And when God uses you in the prophetic, sometimes those words latch onto you and you end up living the word that you gave. And so for the last five years, God's been leading me on this merry dance um, into understanding things to do with monasticism and all these communities and stuff, only to find out there's a whole world of it going on already with people like Pete Gregg with uh, new monasticism and stuff with the 24-7 movement and stuff. So the last few years have been quite an exciting uh, journey for me. And over the other things that God's been showing me with these visions and dreams, I kind of feel like all, this, all the streams of Christendom have... I've almost, have, and this is really for Britain only, I, don't, I can't speak for other countries, but it's like in Britain, it's almost like we've all come to the end of the track. Whether you're charismatic, 
whether you're Hebrew roots, whether you're far out Protestant or whatever, we've all come to somehow the end of the track. And we're seeing a lot of Christians disenfranchise themselves from Christianity and from church. Um, and since COVID happened, we've, most churches have lost half to two-thirds of their congregational members, etc. Because there was something that wasn't right to start with. And COVID, basically, whatever it did, it, it basically forced people to finally, like, I guess for some people, like, well, something was not right with me or something was not right with how I perceived church. And I don't really get this whole church thing anyway. And COVID was a, was a good excuse for some people to disconnect, unfortunately, sadly. And so I do feel that as great as these movements have been, like the charismatic renewal back in the 60s and in the 70s, which have led to a lot of the community churches and fellowships that we have today, I do feel has come to its conclusion in some respect. And one of the things that God has been speaking about is blending the ancient with the modern. And, and so this is <laughs> it's like, well, what does that even look like? So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I, I want to come back to this whole issue of this monastic thing. And why, why is this important to the future of our nation? Firstly, I don't, I'm not proposing that every Christian must do this. But I do believe that this is something that a lot of the local churches will connect into in some way. But the fact that there'll be monasteries in this, church, in this country again, the fact that there'll be houses of prayer and communities of prayer in this country again is quintessentially important for the healing of this nation, healing of the land, and also to birth revival and also to enable the church, which is missional by its structure, to do its job more effectively. And so there'll be a symbiotic relationship between the church and these houses of prayer, which hasn't been a comfortable thing over the last 10 years. So the churches have generally been suspicious of 24-7, suspicious of IHOP and things like that. Yeah, I'm sure you've all experienced that. And it really began to make me question, for example, you know, that question we all ask ourselves, Jesus, what is my ministry? What is it that I'm called to do with my life? How many people have, have, have asked that question, right? We've all done it, haven't we? And it, be, it began to dawn on me rather remarkably that that's really, the, these kind of questions that we're asking are good questions to ask, but generally the church has not equipped us with the right answers. And I found out quite to my surprise that actually my primary ministry is not as a pastor or as a prophet. My primary ministry is not as a husband or even a father. My primary ministry is a priest unto God. Because Jesus is forever a priest of the order of Melchizedek, and we are all priests according to that order. Therefore, our primary ministry is as priests. Amen. And when I began to get a, get a glimpse of this, I mean, if I knew what I knew now, when I first got saved, I wouldn't have been such a pain in the backside as a Christian to my leaders back in those days. Because... Now I understand that the very thing that I was seeking for, the very thing that I was yearning for, was not a platform, was not some kind of ministry, but actually deep, deep down within me, if I'd been told that, Chris, you are a priest unto your God, therefore live a life of prayer and piety and worship to him, and the fact that it says in Romans 12 about laying down our lives as a living sacrifice, I can only do that if I have the role and ministry and function as a priest. And suddenly, my, as I began to realise this, it began to change my whole ethos of Christianity. I went from the purpose-driven Christian to suddenly being, I now understand my identity in Christ and what my function is, and my function is first to God. 
not to a platform and to man. And it's from, it's from being in the place with God that then I can go out and, and minister to man. And I'd been guilty of ministry idolatry where basically, you know, when I, when I went full time for Jesus, it was like, well, Jesus, I ain't got time to pray. I'm just too busy burning out for Jesus. And, uh, and I got myself to a point where I, I'd literally burnt myself out for Jesus and I'd had enough and I was going to throw in the towel. And it was there that God taught me back in my life. He said, you need to learn to live your life from a place of rest. Anyway, I need to get back to my point. But John 17, in John 17, it's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And one of the things he says is that, John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life isn't just what happens when we die and get out of here. Eternal life starts now. And so the question that I have to ask myself and I ask other Christians is, what's the quality of your eternal life? I, how well do you and I know God? How much are we uh, pressing into that relationship with God? And so you might think, what's all this got to do with restoration of the church? And again, as I was looking at Revelation chapters 4, 5 and 8, for example, I could see in heaven there were these angels that were operating in a priestly function because they were holding the censers and the prayers were going up into these censers and they crushed incense into these censers and they gave them up and presented them before God. And so I could see that angels had a priestly function. It was like, what is going on up there? that I as a priest can be emulating and imitating down here on the earth so that my life is lining up to what's going on in the heavenly realms. So this was like some of the stuff that started when I gave that 2018 prophetic word. And then God kept telling me and my wife, you need to retread the ancient paths. I'm sure everybody here has had a word about retreading the ancient paths. And I thought it was this, and I thought it was that. And, and then eventually, slowly but surely, I began to realise... <laughs> what it was and this is really random but yesterday a book came through our door which Tracy'd ordered and it was called Punk Monk I don't know if anyone's read it and I looked on the back of it and there was a quote there from Dietrich Bonhoeffer and this is what it said now bear in mind this was written a long time ago he says the restoration of the church will surely come from a sort of new monasticism which has in common with the old only the uncompromising attitude of a life lived according to the Sermon on the Mount in the following of Christ. And I believe it is a time to call people together to do this. And I was like, wow. This is this, you know, they, they call this guy a prophet, he's a theologian and stuff. But he, all that time ago, he recognised there's something that's missing from today's Christianity, which the early church had. So when I talk about the early church, I'm talking about AD 400 to AD 900 in this country, which some of you would have called Celtic Christianity. So these were people. Now, what we went on doing here today with the waving of flags, okay, they would be totally cool with that. But they were totally cool also with doing monastic prayers so that they would be praying on the hours of the day at 6, 9, 12, 3, etc., where they'd be praying liturgy and praying the Psalms. So in one sense, they were locked into this wonderful cycle, this liturgical calendar, which, which again, all the seasons revolved around it, etc. Everything followed the liturgical calendar. So people were praying psalms and hymns and spiritual songs at certain times of the day. And not only them, but the rest of Christendom as well. 
And this is one thing, again, that's lacking from today's evangelical Christianity, is that when we pray, we're praying our own prayers, which we need to do, not discouraging from doing that. And if you go to a prayer meeting or a prayer room, maybe you'll get 20 or 30 people that will amen your prayer. But when you start praying liturgical prayer as well, you are praying with potentially another billion Christians, the same prayers around the world on the same day that's going up to heaven. And that's a form of connectedness, and that's a form of power that most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are not touching and not holding and not pulling, connecting ourselves into. And so, over the last 30 years, because I believe that this move of God that's coming, these things are going to take us by surprise. And I'm like, where did these things come from? But I'm sure some of you know this, but over the last 30 years, we've had the rise of prayer movements such as IHOP, uh, Burn 24, the more worship, the 24-7 prayer network, uh, the whole thing about Celtic Christianity. Another phenomenon, I can't remember the technical name for it, but it's where a lot of charismatic Christians are finding deep spiritual meaning in things like liturgical tradition and stuff. And you're like, well, what? How can that be? And... I personally believe that we're starting to see these things, they're bubbling under the pot, as it's so to speak, and at the right time, these things are going to rise up, and this is where you're going to see the modern-day charismatic church, or the modern-day church, blend with these things from long ago as well. Because you see, if you want new wine, guess what you need to have? New wineskins. You can't put new wine into the old. Jesus was teaching this about, you know, about the Mosaic dispensation. So you can't take this new covenant, this new wine, and jam it into the old because it won't work. And it's the same with the church. If we're coming into a new season of God's about to pour out his spirit, we need to prepare ourselves and we need to be new wineskins. The good news is, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still make yourself new, amen? So we are called to be new wineskins so that we can accept this new wine of the kingdom that I believe God is going to pour out. But this new wine is not, everyone's, you know, people say, it's a new thing, it's a new thing, it's a new thing. Well, it will be a new thing, but ironically, it will be an old thing. It will be the blending for this nation specifically of what God is going to do, which will be blending of the modern church, but with the ancient church. And that will give the church the power, the, the depth, and the gravitas that it needs to be able to be missional to this, to this nation. Because at the moment, we're failing this nation. At the moment, we, 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 if I'm honest with you, we, we can't keep up with the constant change that's going on in this nation. It's like, you know... Everyone's trying to be culturally relevant. That's really tough when it keeps changing every single day. But the church isn't called to be culturally relevant. The church is called to be counter-cultural. But until we know what it is that's even our culture, that we can't be counter-cultural in a, in a society that we live in. Another thing that's going on around the world right now, which is quite exciting. Have you heard of the Hallowed app, the Hallowed Prayer app? Okay. That, since that's only been out for a little while, that's now a 10 million installs. 225 million prayers have been completed on the app. Uh, we've had the Lectio 360 app. Anyone here use that? Yeah, I'm sure lots of people use that. And the other one that they've done called Inner Room. Uh, I use things like iBrevery, Divine Office, and there's the Church of England's Time to Pray. Then there's the Just Pray campaign. Has anyone seen the adverts for Just Pray? Yeah, they've, they've been going up all around the country and stuff. Uh, and of course, as I said, the IHOP, Prayer 24-7 movement, etc. So you can see... And also, I remember at the beginning of COVID, the biggest search thing on, on Google was apparently how to pray. So there's this, there's this interest, there's this 
slowly, but it's underneath the surface, but this resurgent that actually people are getting hungry again, that the church is getting hungry again, that the Christians are getting discontent with their walk with God. Christians know that there's, there's more in God that they've tapped so far. And I don't care how charismatic you are, you know deep down inside of you that there's more to go. You know there's a depth you know that there's a quality and a quantity of the things of God that's just waiting for us to tap into. But the irony is not in a new move of God, but the irony is in how ancient Christianity always used to be. And Celtic Christianity, man, they, they would have loved all the flag-waving stuff, but they were as charismatic as they were rooted in real, what we would call, religious Christianity. But it wasn't religious for them. It was alive, and it was based in community as well. So I want to talk a little bit about what me and my wife have been doing and what our church has been doing and how we're kind of responding to this call. And it, I'll be honest with you, I say it's what we're doing. I literally feel like God strapped me to some car uh, and uh, just put the foot down on the accelerator. I have my arms tied, no one's steering this thing, and it's just going down this road at 70 miles an hour. Um, we're just going in a direction that I just feel like I have absolutely no control over. You know, I remember years ago, this woman said to me, she had this dream, and she said, Chris, I see, you, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have this, uh, be a part of this thing where all these leaders come together to form this golden key, which unlocks this safe, which helps release the power of God back into the church. I mean, I, this was for a local thing, not, not nationally. And... Uh, and I thought, yeah, praise God. That was like 10 years ago. She said, this vision, though, is for the, is for the far future. And, uh, and then she came up to me this week and said, oh, so Chris, you know, in, in, I forgot to say, but in that dream, you're working with this kind of leader. And it was like, this is all linked up with this monastic stuff. It was like God told her 10 years ago that that's how it was going to be. I only knew five years ago it was going to be like this. And we've just been going down this road. And I honestly feel, you know, I prophesy all this stuff, but I feel like I'm in this really unfair seat that I'm just being catapulted in this direction. And we're just going to hit that wall whether we like it or not. Hallelujah. I'm just like, but it's been an exciting ride nevertheless. And so for my own prayer life, so I've got, to, I've got to birth this stuff. God's made it very clear to me. You've got to live this stuff if you want to, if you want to help, be, help impart it and birth it to this nation. So my prayer life, I, I, I used to just like do that, you know, I'm a pastor, so I used to do kind of like the hour a day sort of thing, you know, half an hour in the Word and half an hour in prayer sort of thing. And then God's like, yeah, that's not good enough. Um, you, you need to up your game a bit. So, so I moved it to two hours. I thought, yeah, you'll be pleased with that. It's like, yeah, no, you need to up your game a bit, you see. So then it was up to three hours. And it's like, Chris, you need to up your game a bit. So now it, on some days it's up to four hours. And it's like, but I'm not just praying random stuff. My prayer life is, is richly charismatic and richly liturgical from the things that I've learned from this monastic Christianity. And we, we set up a thing called prayer school, which I now run. So we've been running it for about 20 weeks and uh, I'm like the spiritual director of that. And so we're having Christians. Now, these are charismatic Christians. And we've got some traditional Christians as well, um, or traditional backgrounds. And they've been coming now for probably about six months, eight months. And there are people in there that I know for a fact have had a really exciting, dramatic walk with God. 
And because I'm teaching them things like Lectio Divina, which is divine reading, you know, which is another form of prayer. I'm teaching them about contemplative prayer. I'm teaching them about liturgical prayer. Okay, they are having experiences every week. People are crying. Okay, for good reasons, not bad reasons. And 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 people are like, I I've been I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've never experienced God like I'm experiencing it now. And so I'm seeing this. Both people who are more traditional are now connecting with the charismatic and for them it's been a complete blessing. And those that have been charismatic, I'm connecting them to more traditional church, not church, but traditional Christian disciplines that have come out of monastic communities. And they're experiencing a depth. But this was the thing that took me by surprise. It was not just the prayer stuff, but the fact that we did it in community. Because you see, you and I, right, when we first got saved, you said, hey, guys, do three things. Read your Bible, go to church and pray. All right, okay. No one ever told you. Did, did anyone here get discipled in how to pray and all the different types of prayer? I bet nobody did, all right? Maybe one of you did, but I never sure as never did. And so, so this is like a whole new concept. But then no one ever really taught me about, about what we're doing now, which is this. Let me explain it. So we do some like Lectio Divino. So we meditate on some passage of scripture. The Holy Spirit starts highlighting things in each of these people's lives. And as like the spiritual director, my job is to kind of get it out of them and make them see what's going on here. And then you've got people crying because God's things that they've never realized that's coming out from them. And uh, but what's happening is, is you've got this whole room and people are exposing themselves to one another by the things that the Spirit is revealing. It's knitting them together in a, in a, in a community aspect that they've never experienced before. And I had one lady, she's, well, she's really struggled with church. Anyone here ever struggled with church? No, most of you, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm with you, all right? Okay, so we've, we've struggled with church. She said, I've struggled with it all my life. I've never really got it. And she said, but this, in what we're doing here for the first time, it makes sense. I get it. I feel connected. I understand what church is. Because Sunday is no longer this box model that we do on a Sunday. It's now this living thing. There's nothing wrong with the Sunday thing, but the Sunday thing isn't the be-all all and end-all. It's really, I think, the celebration of what should be going on in the week. Not the, this is your launch pad, good luck for the rest of the week. It should be the other way around. And, uh, and so this, this prayer school is really helping people to ground their faith in a whole new level and a whole new way. This is now leading to other stuff. So we've now built a house. Well, we do, we've got a house of prayer on a Thursday evening as well. And so we, well, Thursdays is just like a whole prayer day. And as, does anyone know we've got like this prayer farm as well? So we work on that. And again, God's really clever because I just didn't get these, this connect, connection between working the land, praying for the land, healing the land, linking it to this monastic disciplines, etc. Because, hey, that's what Christians used to do in this land. And that's what King Henry VIII, bless him, decided to dissolve all the, all the monasteries, do away with them. And since that time, the Age of Enlightenment came in and, and secularism came in. And we are in the mess that we're in today. God wants his houses of prayer back. God wants those monastic communities back. And yes, that means monks and nuns again. Okay, But also modern day ones, in the sense you've got communities of men and women who are married and families, but living this this life because their mission is they've got to heal the land they've got to pray for the land they've got to pray for this nation there needs to be constant prayers going up when covid came and shut down the church what stopped for about a year praise and worship going up to the lord okay 
in the way that it was. Because it's powerful. You might think just doing a quick, quick sing-song here, it's just like, oh, it's just Christians getting together and having a sing-song. It does stuff in the heavenlies. And after COVID, notice how things politically uh, went on around the world, that sleuth of evil, it just, it just got worse. It's like, how did it get so bad so quick? Because we weren't there restraining what the enemy is trying to do because of our prayers and our worship, etc. And so I believe really strongly in these days, and those that listen to me on, on, on YouTube will know that I've been banging on about this for a while, but God wants to bring a lots of the streams of Christendom back together. But I, I wanna, but not like this. I was listening to this woman the other day and she was talking about in America. America was the great racial uh, melting pot where you had your blacks and you had your Hispanics and your whites and they just chucked them all in, bobbled that pot up and see what popped out the other end. But that's not how God works. You see, in Acts chapter 2, when God poured out the Holy Spirit, it says everybody heard, them, uh, heard the disciples speaking in languages of their own language. God didn't say to the Hispanics, well, I'm sorry guys, but you know, you've all got to have some sense of uniformity, learn Hebrew, will you? No, God spoke to people in their culture and in a language that they understood. And so God, when he wants us to merge together, it's not about you dissolve your character, your personality, you dissolve your culture, providing the culture is not going against the nature of the kingdom of God and we're subservient to the kingdom of God. God wants that identity and that culture to remain. I hear a lot of people say, oh no, but Chris, we're one new man in Christ. And what that means is, is uh, there's no females, there's no males, there's no Jews, Gentile, we're just all one new man in Christ. Well, that's all well and good, except it says in Revelation 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 26, talks about the new Jerusalem, and it says that people will bring the glory of the nations into it. And the Greek word for nations is ethnos which means the ethnicity of the nations will be brought in. And then you have the tree of life with leaves that grow every month for the healing of the nations. nations. And this is in the new Jerusalem. So this is not in our time. This is in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? So we do retain our ethnic identity. And, we re- and these are the things that we carry with us. Why is this? Why am I banging on about this? Because when God starts blending the streams together, he's, he's wanting to take different coloured strands of Christendom and he wants to weave them together to form a multicoloured knot. And it's that's what makes us strong. Because at the moment, we're all strands and we all think we're a rope. But we're not the rope. You know, my strand, we think we're the, we're the ones that have got it right and everyone else has got it wrong. We're the ones going to heaven and, well, good luck for the rest. That, that's how we think in our strands. We think we're the rope, but we're the knot. And God wants to bring these these uh, strands together to create this wonderful, wonderful multicolored rope. And that's where the strength will be as well in, in what God's about to do in this, in this nation. John 17, uh, John 17, Jesus also prays. He says, Father, please let the church be one even as we are one. How are we getting on with that? All right. We've done everything we can to, through denominationalism, etc., to keep ourselves divided and then subdivided and subdivided. So you had the church. There was only one church for a thousand years. And then you had the Great Schism, and that gave birth to the Eastern Orthodox Church, which broke away from the church. And then 500 years later, we then have the Protestant Reformation, so then they broke away. And then since then now, the Protestants have come up with another 150,000 different denominations, because we can't all agree with each other, and we keep subdividing and subdividing and subdividing and subdividing. And I think the Spirit of God is saying, enough! 
That's it. And when, and, when, and when we're moving into this new move of God, it's not going to be, hey, let's have another movement and kick off the past again. No, this movement is going to be, yes, it's going to be something new. It's going to be something fresh. But hey, guys, all of those people you kicked off with every time you moved on, you're going to have to embrace them and come back home again. And God's going to do something radically powerful because where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there it commands the blessing. Life forevermore. Hallelujah. And God wants his eternal life fused into his church, which is his body on the earth. He's tired of like that denomination over there. That's an arm. That denomination over there is a leg. Okay, it's time for us to come together as the body of Christ. That's what the church is. Hallelujah. Lord, if we could just close our eyes for a minute. Lord, Holy Spirit. Lord, my love, my beautiful one, will you please come here now? Will you please just manifest your presence? I know you're in us, but I pray you just fall upon us as well, Lord. Just fill this room with your presence, Lord. I feel the Spirit of God is saying that this day I give you and present with you a choice. There will be many that will resist this. There will be many that will fight tooth and nail to stop the church coming back together. And God is laying it out to you and asking you, and it's an invitation Will you please be those that say yes? Will you please say yes? And it will be so difficult to do this. And it will be so challenging. But it will be so rewarding. And it will allow my spirit to move in wonderful ways. A new way but an old way. For there's nothing new under the sun. And I'll use you in in ways that you can't even yet begin to imagine. We've all become so conditioned to not seeing God move much in this nation that even our imaginations are dull in comparison to what God is going to do. The enemy is not going to oppress us like he's been oppressing us. But the Holy Spirit's putting a challenge out to us today. And he's saying, please, I love you. 
But be warned. Be for me and not against me. Be for me and not against me. And also there's this. Now, I'm putting this out for, for, for the broadcast as well. Is that God is going to do something quite unusual. And he's going to raise up these people that, to me, he calls lollards. And lollards are men and women, young and old, that have chosen to remain single. And they are just completely and utterly sold out for Jesus. And these will be people that will just be constantly so besotted with Jesus. They'll almost be drunk on the wine of the new kingdom or all of the time. They'll be considered as freaks to some people, but such a blessing to others. These are men and women. And in these days, you're going to see these, these things. You're going to see signs and wonders. And these men and women are signs and wonders of what God is going to do in this nation. You're going to hear of one here and there. And there'll be more and more and more of them across this nation. Mark my word, says the Lord. I am going to fill this nation with my spirit. I am going to blow through this nation with the ruach of my breath. And that ruach that, that breathed into Adam and made him a living soul. I'm going to breathe that back into my church again. And she is going to become a living soul and a living being. And she will be my voice and she will be my witness to this nation. And the great powers that seek to destroy this nation, their power will be restrained for a season of time. And the church will be raised up in this land in ways that some of you will think that's not possible. How can that be? And it will not take it. Yes, it will take time. But the, but the depth and the quickness that this is coming will take many by surprise. The growth that's coming will take many by surprise. There'll be many Christians that will just tap out and time out saying, I can't cope with this. I can't cope with this. There's too many people getting saved. I can't cope with this. But I want you to cope with it and I want you to be brave and I want you to be strong. The Lord says, is this not what you've prayed for for all these years? Is this not what you've desired for in this hour? (laughs) But sometimes what you pray for and sometimes what you dream for can be a bit of a nightmare. But it will be the greatest blessing for this nation because brothers and sisters, the fields are white. But the workers are so few. They are so few. And in the time of shaking that's now already upon us, sadly many of my people will be shaken with the world. But I need my people to stand tall and I need my people to stand strong. Because I am the Lord your God and I will never fail you and I will never forsake you. And I am with you till the end of the age. Amen. Amen.